0: Mr.
1: Do you have a little unsolved murder in your home? Got some blackmail you want to unload? Are you the victim of some vulgar extortionist? I know a girl you should meet. She may not be the greatest private eye in the world. So what if it does cost you three or four hundred dollars? She sure is sweet.
2: She's
3: Candy Matson. Like to meet her? Hello, Candy Matson.
2: Well, I wasn't sure when I looked in the mirror this morning.
3: Had a rough night, eh?
2: Oh, there have been rougher ones. Look, voice. Before you get caught with my receiver down, who are you and what do you want?
3: As to who I am, you'll find out very shortly. What I want is you.
2: How romantic and over the phone yet. Let
3: me finish. What I want is you to lay off that cable car business. Oh,
2: that. Well, I'm afraid I can't. You see, I was sitting beside him when they discovered his transfer had been punched sort of permanently. (laughs) That's how things happen with me. I get into the craziest routines... You see, I used to be a model. I've been told I have the proper displacement for such a career. But I found there wasn't enough money in it. A girl has to maintain a nice apartment on Telegraph Hill, keep enough clothes to highlight the uh, displacement I mentioned, and also eat, doesn't she? Sure. So I turn private eye. You meet a better class of people, mostly named Rigger or Mortis. Now take this cable car deal. It's positively fantastic. But after all, this is radio, isn't it? Like to hear how the whole thing happened? Leave us trip along to Act One.
1: You're listening to Candy Matson on the Golden Age of Radio Theater. Once again, Natalie Masters as Candy Matson.
2: I wanted to get downtown that morning, but I couldn't take the F car on Stockton. They were ripping up about 87 streets, which is par for the course. So I walked down Telegraph Hill and up to Mason. That's where the Bay and Powell cable car stops.
1: All aboard! Come on, Lana, show that shapely ankle. We gotta make the Fairmont by Whitsuntide. The car was
2: loaded, and so was the character next to me. I tried to budge into the seat between him and the fisherman's wharf, Dowager, but I couldn't quite make it. I'd forgotten my shoehorn. Say, pardon me, but would you mind reading your Wall Street Journal over that away way a bit? I'd like to sit in here. Oh,
1: if you insist.
2: A night of old. He budged his hips a quarter of an inch, and I slipped in, ready for my rocket ride over the hill and down into town. The trip, as usual, was uneventful. Three smashed fenders and several choice words I'd never heard before, but I wrote them down. By the time our prairie schooner reached the turntable at Market Street, the crowd on the car had thinned out. But, uh, Buster was still beside me, his head buried in common and preferred. Market Street! I started to get down. Hey, lady, take your boyfriend with you. We're heading back up the hill. Boyfriend? i sue. He looks like the advance man for Lewis and Clark. How do you like that? He fell asleep over his stocks and bonds I looked again Hipsy wasn't asleep Hipsy was stone cold dead on market
0: What a twist
2: I, who always went on the prowl for a who-done-it, Got one literally tossed into my lap He just hadn't gone out of this world serene-like Oh, no there was a steady slurp, slurp of blood trickling down his vest just north by northeast of the equator. After a half-hour wait full of questioning by homicide leg men, I knew my morning shopping tour was rained out. And after all, I was only going to buy an emerald clip to match the glint in my eye. Well, that would have to wait. I knew the next step. I grabbed a cab home. I wasn't long in waiting. Right on cue... And if it was the right cue, it would be Lieutenant Ray Mallard from headquarters daintily pressing his cuticles against my apartment buzzer. I was right.
1: What?
2: I've been expecting you. Come on in, Mallard.
1: You've been expecting me? Why, Candy?
2: Naive little rover boy, you. Have a drink?
1: No, no, I'm not in the mood. Uh, just make it a double.
2: Sit down, Mallard. Let's be civilized. Take off your hat.
1: It is off. Oh. Candy, for once I'm puzzled.
2: You're just saying
1: that. Yeah, because it's true. I've checked and rechecked. No matter how many loose ends I tie together, I still get no connection between you and Dwight Ellsworth.
2: Dwight who's worth?
1: Ellsworth. Your extremely limp traveling companion on the cable this morning.
2: Mallard, I can give you an angle on that. Yeah? Yeah. The angle being that I didn't know him from Adam. Level?
1: Straight. Oh, look,
2: honeypot, this mediocre dialogue is getting us nowhere. What did you haul your size 11s in here for? Oh,
1: well, frankly, I don't know. Uh, here, fill it up, buddy. You?
2: Well, you're not just going around in circles, Mallard. You're going around in doubles. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like I've said before, Candy, you've got a pretty view from here.
2: Oh? Wait till I turn around.
1: I mean from your window. Look at that ship down there, just docking.
2: Hmm? Where?
1: Down there. There's uh-huh. romance for you. Probably just in from the Far East. Here's your drink. Oh, thanks.
2: You know, it is sort of romantic. Don't you think it'd be fun to jump on a tramp like that and whisk off to the South Sea? Mm
1: Hmm? On honeymoon? No. That's what I thought. South Sea. Mallard. Don't call me Mallard.
2: Why not? We're just playing for ducks, aren't
1: we? Oh, very crisp. Playing for ducks. No candy we aren't. Not in this case. We've got a dead man in our hands. Rudy Toot Toot shot right through the heart. And you were sitting next to him.
2: Sure, sure. Go on now, get out of here. All right. You heard me. Lift your hindquarters and get back to headquarters.
1: Andy, I don't like that look. You've got something on your mind. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, but you wouldn't recognize it if I told you about it.
1: Ah, one word of warning. Don't dabble. You're in deep enough. Got it?
2: Got it. Here's your hat. Grab it. So long, Mallard. See you around a jailhouse sometime. Bye, fo' "'Twas then I smelled the big sap sea, "'that great, big, kind of attractive Mallard. "'He missed the boat. "'Oh, he saw it, but he missed it. "'It was that ship he saw docking. "'That was the first time I came out of the dark "'since my Tunerville ride down the hill in the morning. "'I needed help, so I called an old friend of mine, "'if you can call that help. "'Rembrandt Watson was his name. "'He was a photographer and other things. "'He spent most of his life in the dark room "'dabbling with bottles.' His negatives and prints were sharp. His thought processes, not quite. But he'd given me assistance in the past, so I called him.
1: Rembrandt Watson speaking. Photography, portraits, and camera work. Yes,
2: Rembrandt, I know. Also
1: available for gardening, janitorial service, and babysitting. Rembrandt,
2: it's candy. Especially
1: at the over 21. Who? Candy?
2: Now you're tuned in. How
1: dare you, baggage. I was experimenting with a new type of formula.
2: 90 proof for 100. 100.
1: 100. And candy, it works beautifully. There's a delightful little pixie in a pink ballet skirt in my living room. Well,
2: leave her there and get over here immediately to my place. Take a cab, I'll pay for I'd it.
1: Much rather have a handsome carriage with a brace of chestnuts.
2: You've got them in your head. Now just do as I say and get over here. Yeah.
1: Float in, Rembrandt. Gadfrey, where's the man to take me cloak, gloves, and topper? You're
2: wearing a sport coat and slacks, and you know I have no man. And
1: therein lies your basic trouble, my dear. You have no man. Now,
2: Rembrandt... Every
1: man should have a woman. Every woman should have a man. It's the incontrovertible law of the universe. Candy, you should have a man. You Shaw, I'm no longer a man.
2: I'm a sprite, transcending the world. Well, stop transcending a moment and come down to Earth. We've got a job to do. How
1: poetic. How idyllic. We've got a job to do. Uh, for money.
2: Eventually.
1: Oh, one of those. Very well, my dear. Bring me up to date. Well, I... I
2: don't really know if I can or not.
1: Good. Then I shall leave and return to formula. Oh,
2: no. What I mean is the whole story is so fantastic you'd never believe it. I
1: might. Try me, Candy.
2: Well, I get on a cable car and sit next to a character reading the Wall Street
1: Journal. A strange coupling. A cable car and the Wall Street Journal. Yeah.
2: And when we get to the end of the line, my friend next to me is dead.
1: Probably the ride down the hill frightened him to death.
2: Uh-uh. He looked like a used punch board. He had a neat little bullet hole through his
1: heart. Candy, my little ballerina friend in the pink skirt is more believable than what you just told me.
2: I told you it was fantastic, but none of how it happened. Now, sooner or later, Mallard is going to come out of his fog. And when he does, I'm going to be out of a fee. A
1: fee that so far doesn't exist, my pretty. It
2: will, if my hunch is right.
1: Now, here's what I want you to do.
2: Go down to the Chronicle and get all the back files you can on Southern Island
1: Steamship Company. The Chronicle? A pleasure. I have a few questionable companions there who indulge in formulas.
2: Stay away from those companions and just do as I ask.
1: Very well, my dove. I go, but entirely against my will. And where will you be?
2: Around town, Rembrandt. I've got to do some legwork.
1: Let me assure you, Candy, you have just the right equipment for it, too. <laughs>
2: What a joint! I bet they mount slip gullets on the walls instead of deer heads. Well, come on, Candy, get your tools out and screw up your courage.
1: Yeah, miss. What'll it be?
2: Uh, nothing right at the moment except information.
1: Information, water, both free. What do you want to know?
2: Well, I'm I'm looking for the purser off of Dwight Sonia. I hear he does his shore duty in here. Ah, uh, that's
1: right. Name Campbell. That head on the table over there belongs to
2: him. Mm, thanks. Hello, sailor. Hey, Campbell. Wake up. Mm.
4: Oh, yeah. Come
2: on, snap out of it.
4: Uh, who are you? What do you want?
2: My name is Candy Matson. I want to ask a question.
4: Well, I'm only drinking.
0: Go away. Not
2: until I find out what I want to know. Dwight Ellsworth was murdered this morning. What? what? I thought that would bring you to.
3: Huh? Well, that's the nicest news I've heard since V.J. Day. What do you want to know?
2: Where does his brother live?
3: That's dude. He's got about as much spine as a water eel.
2: Never mind. I want to find him. He seems to keep his whereabouts as secret as an atomic stockpile. Uh,
3: The whole family ought to be knocked off. Uh, He lives out in Seacliff. 25 Dashell Road. Good.
2: Bartender, buy my friend a little reward. And one
0: for yourself. too. Well, so far, so
2: good. Oh... How did I know about Campbell, the purser? Well, you see, I have quite a few friends, most of whom my pal Mallard doesn't approve. So I grabbed a cab and navigated the driver out towards Seagland. It was so foggy I couldn't see the meters. But I paid him anyway, gave him a neutral tip and dismissed him. There it was, 25 Dashiell Road. An austere-looking cabana. One that dared you to ring the front doorbell. I dared... I had the awful feeling I should have been around at the side door delivering hand laundry. Good evening. Uh, except
5: for the fog, yes. Uh, Is Mr. Ellsworth in?
0: Yes,
5: he is. But I'm afraid I must ask you to leave. There has been a death in the family. I know. That's why I'm here. Come in, please. Thank you. Walk this way, please. Oh, I'm afraid I, I couldn't. Even if I live to be a hundred. Mind your tongue, young lady.
2: You're in the house of an Ellsworth. Oh,
6: hoity-toity.
2: The old babe had delusions of grandeur. Well, no need to get uppity with me. I've mingled with royalty. I once played a bit part in a Rita Hayward picture. But this old gal was really something. She couldn't have been more than 45, yet looked like something out of the Barrett of Wimpole Street. She ushered me into a large-ceilinged living room, and there on the divan was my boy. His head lowered into his hands and quite obviously touched. Quite
5: obviously. Roger, this young lady is here to see you. I don't believe you mentioned your name. Candy Matson.
1: Matson? Are you in shipping, too? Mm, of a sort. Oh, uh, this is my wife, Miss Matson. You'll pardon me if I don't seem hospitable, but my brother was murdered this morning. I know. I was
2: sitting next to him when it happened.
5: Don't talk to her, Roger. I don't trust her. This whole thing is a threat of some kind. No,
2: it's not a threat. It's a business proposition. I'll come right to the point. You see, I'm a private detective.
5: Oh, one of those persons.
2: Put your nose back down, Mrs. Ellsworth. I want to get this show on the road. Yes, I'm a private detective. And I'm in a spot, too. The police think I'm connected with the case in some way, so... I'm here for a double purpose. I'm listening, Miss Matthews. Roger, I forbid you to speak with this this woman. Too late, Mrs. Ellsworth. Now, this is it. I'm in this business to make money. Give me a check now for $300, and I'll find out who killed your brother. And I'll also clear myself. Roger, I'm warning you. Naturally, you want to see the killer of your brother brought to justice, don't you, Mr. Ellsworth? Don't you?
1: I... Yes, yes. Here, I'll make a check out right now.
2: Thanks. Just make it out to Candy Matson. Payable today. The lovely collection of guns you have, Mr. Elson. You hunt much?
1: Mm. Oh, yes. Yes, my wife and I are quite fond of shooting. Uh, She's an excellent shot. Ah, There you are.
2: Thank you. I'll be in touch with you sometime tomorrow. (laughs) Mr. Reed didn't say a word. She just stood there against the fireplace and shot sparks through me. After I waved the check in the air a few times to dry the ink, she showed me to the door.
5: Very clever, aren't you? Taking advantage of a weak willed man.
2: I wonder who made him that way.
5: Don't cash that check.
2: I mean it. Don't cash that check. Mrs. Ellsworth, $300. I need the money. Badly. I need some new rolls for my player piano. <laughs>
1: You're listening to Candy Matson on the Golden Age of Radio Theater. Once again, Natalie Masters as Candy Matson.
2: I buzzed back downtown. I wanted to cash that check in a hurry. I knew of only one person who would give me the crisp green at that hour of the night. Uncle Charlie, the honest miller who ran the chase room. Uncle Charlie, in the strict sense of the word, was the gentleman. With a tender little pat on my cheek He cashed the check and I went up Telegraph Hill and home All of a sudden my eyes did a couple of inverted loops
0: Uh
1: Oh, my lights were on Who's in here? All right, speak up Oh, Candy, the light of my life Come join our party
2: Oh, Rembrandt, you gave me a scare You
1: don't scare easy either, Candy Got something on your mind? And
2: Mallard... Well, how ducky, a midnight soiree. What goes on here? Well,
1: that chicken you had in the icebox is delicious.
2: Was delicious. Looks like you've done everything but eat the bones.
1: Your vintage is superb, too, Candy. Have a little formula?
2: No. No, Now, come on. What gives?
1: That's my line, Candy. What gives? You're in on something, and I want to know about it. Oh,
2: Mellor, believe me. It's nothing. I'm, I'm just trying to parley a couple of hunches.
1: Tall hunches. Look at all those clippings on the South Sea Island Steamship Company. What are they for? I meant to tell you, Candy, I had remarkable success down at the Chronicle. There's everything you want on that steamship line. Oh, Rembrandt,
2: did you have to tell the whole world?
1: Candy, you chide me unnecessarily. I merely had the clippings on the table when Hawkshaw here walks in on me. Okay, Candy, take it from there.
2: I can't tell you yet, Mallard. Nothing makes sense yet. I've I've got about four loose ends that need tying off.
1: I'd only put two men to following you. I'd save myself a lot of grief.
2: Two days, that's all, Mallard. Just give me two days. I think I'll have it for you.
1: All right. But don't forget, the boys down at Kearney Street headquarters don't love you the way I do. Two days. No more or less. I gotta go. Thanks for the foul, chicken.
2: Ah, very gay. Here, Rembrandt, here's fifty dollars for you.
1: Fifty? My word. What's all this talk about? A recession.
2: Go on and take it. Go someplace and stabilize the economy. <laughs> I whipped through the old newspaper clipping. It was all there. Fire at sea on Ellsworth's ship. Two seamen lost off Ellsworth's ship near Honolulu. South Sea Island line ship loses rudder in storm. On and on it went over a period of three years. I threw the papers back on the table. Helped myself to some of Rembrandt's formula. Turned down the lights and went out on the porch. The bay was dark except for an occasional path of light from a passing freighter. I sat down to think and think. Then, click, click, just like that, two little tumblers in my mind fell into place. Only one thing to do, and that was to do it the hard way. The next morning, just as the ferry building siren was announcing 8 o'clock to downtown San Francisco, I got Rembrandt on the phone. Candy?
1: What on earth are you calling me for at this hour?
2: Can't help it. There's work to be done. I
1: did my work last night so extremely well that I'm just going to bed now.
2: Sorry, you'll just have to delay your sack time. Meet me at the corner of Mason and Union in ten minutes, right where the cable car stops.
1: Now what are we going to do?
2: We're going to take a cable car ride.
1: What? I'm one of those bouncing, jerky little contraptions. Not the way I feel this morning.
2: Oh, yes you are. Union and Mason in ten minutes. All right, Rembrandt, get on.
1: This is the silliest thing you've ever done, Candy.
2: Maybe, we'll see. Dwight Ellsworth was already on the car when I got on here, and alive. How
1: could you tell? He
2: mumbled something when I asked him to move over. Sounds
1: logical, although I once remember stumbling into a corpse who mumbled for hours after it had been liquidated.
2: Rembrandt was in one of his rambling moods, so I let him alone. The car pulled over Mason Street, down Washington, and then swung on to Powell and up the hill. Now I watched the buildings and apartments carefully. There was a little red brick building, now a big apartment house, a woman's residence club, and so on. Then over the hill, more apartments, and the possibilities petered out of Bush. Well, only one thing to do. Canvas all those blocks between Washington and Bush. Okay, Rembrandt.
1: Off the car. Strangest corpse I ever did see. Uh, What'd you say, Candy? Off the car. Come on. Now what? I just want to get to bed. Well,
2: not for a long time, boy Blue. Now, here's the pitch. You take this building, and I'll take the next. We'll alternate as we go along. Ask if a tall woman with a horsey face and dressed something like Queen Victoria ever lived around here. Oh, Candy. I know it sounds wild, but it's got to be done. A
1: horse with a tall face and dressed something like... Oh,
2: Rembrandt, look at me. Get that smoke out of your brain. A tall woman with a horsey face and dressed something like Queen Victoria. You got it? Got it. Okay, get going. It was slow and tiresome. And the answers I got... A tall gal dressed like Queen Victoria... Oh, sister! That was about par. Nope, nobody like that ever lived here. Are you positive? A dame who fits that description? Yeah,
1: I'm positive.
2: The morning wore on, and so did we. We were over on the other side of California Street now, so we stopped and had a bite to eat. I had pickles with mine, and Rembrandt had olives on toothpicks in a glass. And again, we picked up the hunt. Heart was suddenly making with a rumba. There, just on the other side of Clay, in front of a three story red brick house with a police squad car, there was a little knot of people gathered around. Daintily lifting my crinoline, I did not Mel Patton down the block and up the front steps. I didn't have any trouble finding the room. The door was wide open, and there was a body on the floor. Four representatives of the law were buzzing back and forth. One of the buzzies was Mallard.
1: Well, my little ambassador of violence. Why is it you're always around the extremely dead, Candy?
2: I've got no time to brandy the ad-libs, Mallard. Who is it?
1: I don't know yet. No identification.
2: Let me see. Oh.
1: A pen pal, maybe.
2: I was right. I knew it.
1: Knew it? Knew what?
2: You're right. He was a pen pal. He wrote me a check last night for $300. His name is Roger Ellsworth. (coughs)
1: Very interesting. Must be open season on Ellsworths. Okay, Candy. Time you filled in in the blanks. Start.
2: Wait a minute. I want to look at the window over here. Mm-hmm. Mallard, there are a couple of younger Ellsworths living around town here. I'm sure you'd like to see them stay healthy.
0: Yeah?
2: Get out to 25 a Road and pick up an old crone also named Ellsworth. Five will get you 20. She's the one you're after.
1: Ah, uh, All right. But you get back to your place and stay put, understand? I want to have a more illuminating chat with you. Oh, Mallard, I'm, I'm just like
0: putty in your hands.
2: The moon was coming up over Diablo and spraying a path of silver on the bay. Still no Mallard. I wondered what could be wrong. Well, this was it. This was the showdown.
1: You seen a tall face with a horsey woman?
2: Oh, Rembrandt.
1: Andy, I'm so mad at you, I could. uh, Oh, what's the
2: use? Now, what's the matter?
1: What's the matter, she says. I've been roving all over Powell Street, ringing doorbells. Where did you go, you traitor?
2: Oh, Rembrandt, I'm sorry. In, In the excitement, I forgot all about
1: you. What excitement?
2: There's been another murder. In a moment, there's
1: going to be another. I'm looking right at you, Candy. Oh,
2: cool off. Have some formula and stop snorting steam. What was that?
1: Your window, Candy. It just shattered.
2: What? Wait a minute. That window didn't shatter by itself. Quick, get the lights, Rembrandt. Now duck down here.
1: What sort of a silly game are we playing now?
2: This isn't a game, believe me.
1: Candy! Candy, are you all right? Yikes, it's the gumshoe.
2: Yes, I'm all right. Where are you, Mallard?
1: Over here. Two houses over. We've got your girlfriend trapped on the roof next to you. Don't move and stay covered. Okay. All right, Mrs. Ellsworth. Are you coming down peacefully or do we have to play cops and robbers? I'm
0: not coming down until I get that candy mask. She did it. She forced me to kill my own
1: brother-in-law. Have it your own way. Okay, loosen her up a bit, boys. Better than the fourth of July. Keep your head down, Rembrandt. Is that what was up?
5: Ready to come down, Mrs. Ellsworth? No, I'm not. That hateful woman! She's ruined my whole life! All my plans! Just because of her snooping and crying! She's going to die, I tell
1: you! It was a miracle, Candy must have moved slightly, just as she shot at you. Well,
2: it was too close, I can tell you. She's
1: dead? Oh, decidedly. I think she was dead before she hit the ground. That uh, one shot got her. We went out to her house, and she was just driving off when we got there. We trailed her up to North Beach, lost her for a block, and then spotted a car at the top of the hill here. We arrived just as she was getting on the roof next door. Okay, now you tell me your little dream.
0: Well, it
2: was that ship docking that set my wheels going around... The name Ellsworth started burning in back somewhere. You saw the clippings we dug up. The South Sea Island steamship lines were slowly being sabotaged. I did some checking, and I I found that the insurance companies weren't going to renew.
1: Yeah. I don't know why I didn't tie that in sooner.
2: Oh, it's just that you have too many things on your mind, Mallardy. I I went out to the place on Dashell Road, and when I left, I was pretty sure the old girl had knocked off her brother-in-law. Why? Well, for several reasons. One, she was a venomous old witch. Two, you've never seen such a collection of guns in all your life. And her husband admitted she was a darn good shot. I also saw one little pot gun that was very interesting. It had a silencer
1: on it. Uh Uh-huh. That was the one she used on you tonight.
2: And also the one she used on Dwight Ellsworth from the window of that apartment where you found her husband. How do you know? Go back there. You'll see a nice little bullet hole in the curtain with burned powder all around it.
1: Now, don't tell me that... Yes,
2: you... I'm telling you that she rented that place knowing that her brother-in-law always went downtown on a certain cable car. She waited that morning until we were riding by, and she plucked him.
1: I have now heard everything.
2: And the reason? Dwight Ellsworth, rather than fighting the insurance companies, had decided to sell his steamship line. But the old gal thought she'd beat him to the punch by knocking him off. The steamship company would then fall
1: into her husband's hands. Ah. Yeah. What about her husband?
2: Well, after he gave me the check and I left, they evidently had a fearful row, and she spilled the beans. Somehow, she lured him down to that place on Powell and gave him some lead poisoning, too. And that's all there is to it.
1: Candy, I wish you'd have told me all these things earlier. We might have been able to save the life of Roger Ellsworth.
2: Mm, it wouldn't do any good. Because if she hadn't killed him, I was going to. What? Mm-hmm. While I was waiting for you to get here, the phone rang. It was Uncle Charlie, the Honest Miller. That no-good Roger Ellsworth. His check bounced like a brand-new golf ball.
1: <laughs>
2: What's so funny, Mallard?
1: <laughs> Listen in again to the further adventures of Candy Matson, Girl Sucker. Hello, Yukon 28209.
2: Yes, this is Candy Matson.
3: Got an old corpse kicking around you want identified? Know of any good murders you want solved? We've got just the girl for you. Her name is Candy Matson. Mighty cute, too. She fills out a size twelve suit to just the right proportions. Soft blonde hair, two sparkling blue eyes, and all in all, she looks as though she might have stepped right off of a Vogue calendar. And what's more, she's a private eye. You scoff? You ridicule? I'll let you see for yourselves. Listen, she's talking
7: on the phone right now.
2: Hello, Candy Matson.
7: Hello, Miss Matson. I'm afraid you don't know me.
2: That makes it even. You don't know me. Let's go from there.
7: I've read about you in the papers, Miss Amartsen. You handle confidential cases.
2: That's right. However, there's a little matter of a fee involved.
7: Yes, yes, I know I can pay.
2: That's item number one. Now to item number two. What's the confidential case? I
7: can't possibly tell you on the phone, Miss Matson. I said it was confidential.
2: Mm, Okay. Where do you want to talk?
7: I am the proprietor of a restaurant, the Charlemagne in North Beach.
2: Oh, yeah. I ate there once. Oh, that's nice. No, it wasn't. I didn't like the food. Oh. However, I'll overlook it. Do you want to talk in about an hour?
7: That will be fine, Miss Matson.
2: Good. And your name would be?
7: Martinello. Carlo Martinello.
2: Okay, Mr. Martinello, and uh, have some ink in your pen. It costs money just to talk. i probably sounded rough and commercial, but you have to be in this racket. Most people look in a private eye as a musician. They invite you to a party and expect you to bring your harp for free. But uh uh-uh. I learned the hard way a long time ago. So now they pay in advance and take their chances later. That's the way it was with this Martinello. I was at home in my penthouse on Telegraph Hill out on the porch taking a sun bath, and the phone rings and it's this Carlo character. That part was all right because I can always use new customers. But what made me mad was the fact that I had to stop listening to the 49ers belt the bejabers out of the Cleveland Browns at Kezar Stadium. But I followed through and uncovered a couple of very done-in bodies along the way. Do you like the grotesque in your whodunit? Then follow me and we'll tiptoe lightly through the tibbets, the ponds, and the bacalonis. Because part of the story unfolds at the Opera House. Reluctantly, I dressed into something Charlemagne turned off the 49ers Cleveland game, and went down to talk to Martinello. His place was typical. Located on Paul Street, a garish neon sign, and as you walked in, the air, place was air conditioned by Eau de Garlic.
7: Yes, miss. You wish a table?
2: I wish a table, yes. With the right party, I'm looking for the owner.
7: I am the owner.
2: I am Candy Matson. Oh,
7: Miss Matson. Walk this way, please.
2: If I could walk that way, I'd revive vaudeville. Pardon? Uh, where is your office?
7: Right over here. Allow me. After you, signorina.
2: Thank you, signor.
7: Here. Sit down, please.
2: Thanks. Now, Martinello, what's on your mind?
7: Always, all my life, I have run a very nice, respectable place. Mm Mm-hmm. Until this morning. What's with this morning? I go down to the basement. My icebox is down there. That is where I keep all my meat.
2: So, you wanted some ground round. Oh, no, no.
7: Perhaps I'd better show you. Please, you will come with me. (laughs)
2: Martinello led the way out of his office and down a flight of stairs. A cold blast hit my face. A musty aroma smothered my nostrils, and if i had had a phobia about darkness, I'd have ducked out then. But I followed the guy, and we ended up in front of a refrigerator about the size of an inquisition chamber. He opened the door, and it was the usual restaurant icebox, choice legs of lamb hanging from hooks, potential fillets and thick New York cuts. The box was cold, and I started to shiver... Not from the refrigeration, though, because over in the corner was a man. He looked like something out of a long-lost Arctic expedition. He had a long, flowing mustache, every bristle of which was coated with ice. He was quite frozen and quite dead. I slammed the door shut and reeled out. The sight had staggered my thought processes. Martinello reached over by a salami slicing table and turned on a Mazda. A weak affair that casts dim shadows about the damp basement. Is that your little surprise?
7: Yes, Mr. Matson. That is what I was greeted with this morning.
2: Have you notified the police? Oh, no, no, no. Why not?
7: As I told you, I have run a very respectable place. And, too, that is why I am hiring you.
2: You can get in trouble, you know.
7: Yes, yes, that is why you must help me. Please, please, Miss Matson, say you will help me. I will pay you anything you say.
2: I stick my neck out in the strangest places. Now it's a refrigerator. Okay, Martinello, $2,000. What? Make up your mind. Either I freeze your assets or the police find your frozen friend.
7: Yes. All right. Come. I give you the money now.
2: Now we're getting somewhere.
7: What about him?
2: Oh, he'll keep He's on ice. Well, this was one for the books. Refrigeration the Ugly Way. I had to ask a few questions if I was to get anywhere. Such as, like, do you know the guy? No. Had you ever seen him before? No. Who was the last one to close the icebox last night? I was. Does it lock from the inside?
7: Unfortunately, yes.
2: I was getting places like Wiley was with Hauser. It was inevitable. I had to take my courage in my hand and go down and look at that thing again. There it was, a male Mona Lisa, etched in ice. This time I looked closer. I had to. And as I did, I realized I wasn't going to get any identification because this guy was a study in crimson. Underneath all that coating of ice, he was dressed in a devil's costume. I slammed the door once again and went upstairs. There I gave Martinello strict orders not to do a thing. Usually in cases like this, you have to wait for a break. They come along like a forcing hand in poker So I went home to do some thinking As I arrived, there was an old friend of mine, Rembrandt Watson
1: Hello, dove I'd almost given up
2: Rembrandt, how did you get in?
1: Your door was open, dear I took the liberty of coming in
2: Oh, sure, that's okay
1: How are things, Candy?
2: All right, I guess I'm kind of bushed, though I feel about as devaluated as a British pound You
1: look wonderful, dove What's wrong?
2: I've got a deal, but I don't know where to start.
1: Anything I can help you with?
2: No, thanks, Rembrandt. If I told you about it, you wouldn't believe it. I've
1: never doubted you in the past, dear.
2: I know. Well, I was just called in by a minestrone merchant in North Beach. The guy is stuck with a corpse. That's about par for the course. The deceased had been sealed in the icebox overnight. I've never seen one like that before.
1: That's the way it is, dear. Many are called, but few are frozen.
2: Oh, get out of here. But, Dove, I
1: just got here. I
2: know, but I've got to change and get down to see Mallard. I'll wait
1: for you, Candy. I haven't seen the gumshoe since before me vacation.
2: All right. I'll be with you in a few moments. I did a fast change, and Rembrandt and I climbed into my car, and we dropped off Telegraph Hill and Don Kearney Street. The Hall of Justice, where Mallard hangs his star, is only a few blocks away. So we made it in about five minutes. Inspector Ray Mallard. Homicide San Francisco police. A lovable, shaggy dog type of character. Very keen with the crime, but dumb with the dame.
1: Me, for instance.
2: If I want him to say yes, he says no,
1: and vice versa. Well, my ever-loving candy. What's new in the private eye business?
2: Very little. How's the legitimate fatfoot racket?
1: Oh, we're holding our arches up. Well, and Rembrandt. I haven't seen you since Pup was a Hector. Please, Inspector, you're making your mixer pause.
2: Who writes this dialogue? I'm
1: pretty weak, I know. What's on your mind, Candy?
2: A character named Carlo Martinello. Have you got anything on him? <laughs> What's so funny, Mellor?
1: Nothing, except I eat lunch there about every day of the week.
2: Well, answer my question.
1: Well, there's nothing on Martinello. Arrested a couple of times during Prohibition, he was dabbling in grappa a la Under the Table. Have yous got a case against the guy, Detective Matson? Oh, cut it out. No, seriously. Why do you want to check on the guy, Candy?
2: No reason. Just thought I'd ask.
1: Uh-huh. Well, Martinello's okay. Just trying to make a living. Only thing I don't like, he loves to sing to his customers.
2: <clears throat> That'd be enough to bankrupt him right there.
1: Anything else I can do?
2: No, that takes care of everything.
1: I tell you what, I'm through in about an hour. I'll take you up to Martinello's for dinner. You can see for yourself.
2: No, 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 that, that, that's all right.
1: Okay, Candy, give.
2: Why, Mallard, dear, what on earth do you mean?
1: You know something about something. I want in.
2: Mallard, and I want you to believe this. I mean it sincerely. If I knew something, you'd be the last to know about it.
1: He's got something there. Come love, believe us a
2: while. I hate to do things like that to Mallard. He's been of great help to me in the past. More than once he's saved my life. But on a deal like this, you have to play it close. After all, a girl has to make a living. For the first time in a long time, I was completely baffled as to where to start. Something had to be done about that cadaver in the icebox, but what? While I was beetling my eyebrows, Rembrandt invited me up to his place for tea. He lives on California Street, just down away from old St. Mary's, and only a bail bond broker's reach from the Hall of Justice. So I accepted.
7: Do forgive the looks
1: of the place, Candy dear? I had a meeting my philatelist group last night.
2: Philatelists?
1: The stamp collectors, dear.
2: Well, I know what they are, but I didn't think they could make such a mess.
1: You don't know philatelists. No. Sit down, now. Make yourself comfortable. i shan't be a moment.
2: That's all right.
1: And, candy, dear, why the wrinkles?
2: I've got cause for wrinkles. This chap in the icebox, Rembrandt. There's something I didn't tell you. He was dressed in a devil's costume.
1: There, there, dear Your tea will ready in just a minute You'll feel better
2: I know it sounds crazy, but it's true
1: What are you going to do, Candy?
2: I don't know I can't leave him in that refrigerator forever
1: Well, get him out, dear I hate to think of a corpse catching pneumonia Oh, excuse me, Candy Help yourself to the tea Mm Mm-hmm How do you do? Rembrandt Watson Enterprises
7: (laughs) Quiet down
1: Who? Oh, hello, Templeton How are all your steamships? Oh, that's good. What? Could I use... To what? To the opera? Of course I could. Righto, I'll pick them up at your office. Thank you, Templeton. Goodbye. Candy, dear, do you like the opera?
2: I can take it or leave it. Why?
1: (laughs) It suddenly
7: develops that I have two tickets tomorrow night for Tales of Hoffman.
2: Oh, Rembrandt, I don't think I... Come,
7: come, Candy. It'll do you Good. You've been working too hard. You need a little relaxation.
2: Tales of Hoffman, hmm? Okay. Who's the pal who gave them to you?
7: An old friend of mine,
1: Templeton Woodruff. He runs a steamship to Java and other places Ethiopia Pinza sings about.
2: I finished the tea and left. Right then the only opera I could think of was the one going on in an ice box at Martinello's. I've always tried to play straight with Ray Mallard, so I decided to tell Martinello my plan.
7: Miss Matson, I don't think it's such a good idea... Good evening,
2: the... Carlo. I want to talk to you.
7: That's what I mean. There's a gentleman here who... Well,
2: so you've got a gentleman. That's fine. Three more and you've got a crowd. What I want to talk to you about is you this. You
7: don't understand. The gentleman I'm talking about is from the police. The police? Yeah. Oh, hello, Candy. Mallard... How about some scallopini?
2: Well, up jumped the... Hello, Mallard, dear.
1: I had an idea you'd like
7: dinner here tonight. Uh, Do you know my boy, Carl?
2: Yes, yes, we've met.
7: How do you do? How do you do? The signorina wish something to eat?
2: No, no thanks. I want to talk to you, though, Mallard.
7: Sure. Come on into my booth. We'll share some salami.
2: No, no thanks. I want to see you downstairs.
1: I don't think the food's as good down there.
2: I agree, but it isn't the food. I'm talking about Murder. (laughs) Once again, I headed down into the catacombs of the Charlemagne. This time, the act was a double. Mallard was right behind me. Then I looked around. We were a trio. Martinello was right behind Mallard. This is it.
7: This is what?
2: This is an icebox. Inside, you'll find a body dressed in a devil's costume.
1: Okay, Carlo. Let's humor the lady. Open the thing, will you?
7: I... Yes. I'll open it. Lovely view of the beef.
2: It's gone. The body's gone. Okay, Martinello, start talking and make some sense while you're doing it. Please,
7: Miss Matson. I don't know anything. I haven't been down here all day.
2: Get rid of those arched eyebrows, Martinello. You know something. What is it?
7: Wait a
1: minute, Candy. I'll do the questioning. In the first place, Carlo, was there or was there not a body in here? I... Well...
2: Sure there was. He can't deny it. Here's a check for $2,000... ...signed by Martinello himself.
7: Well, Carlo? Yes. There was a body all right. Who was it? friend of yours? No, Inspector. I never saw him before. Why did you call Miss Matson? Why didn't you come to see me about it? Well, you know, Inspector, the
1: police... Uh, just because you were once arrested for bootlegging, Carlo... ...is no reason to be afraid of the
7: police... Yeah, well, I'll put a couple of my men on the job and see what we can turn up.
2: What? Is that all you're going to do, Mallard?
7: No.
1: Right now, I'm going back upstairs and have some of Carlo's scallopini. Mallard, are you out of your head? Look, Candy, in order to have a murder case, you've got to have a body. Obviously, we're fresh out. And until your pal with the devil's costume turns up, I intend to live my typical everyday life. Don't forget the mushrooms, Carlo.
0: There are
2: times when I get so mad at Mallard I want to scream. I didn't, though. I only scrammed. I hung on to the 2,000, however. I felt I deserved it, just for getting my curiosity aroused. And it was aroused plenty. Corpses don't get up and walk out of ice boxes by themselves. But after all, Mallard had a point. There was nothing to be done without a body. So I went home and waded into a stack of dirty dishes that had been piling up. Then I fixed dinner and started a new stack of dirty dishes. Got a book and ducked into bed. In the morning, I had an idea. After breakfast, I went down to the corner of Broadway and Columbus. That's where North Beach does a neat blend with Chinatown. On the corner was a Joe who sold newspapers. I'd known him for some time, and he seemed to like me. Hiya, Bush.
8: Well, hello there, lady. How are you?
2: Good. Can't complain. Who won the football game yesterday?
3: Yeah, funny thing. I got all the news right inside here for seven cents. Mm,
2: I get your point. Give me a chronicle, will you?
3: Sure. Here. Thanks.
2: Who do you like in the feature of Bay Meadows?
3: A goat named Candy.
2: What What did you say?
3: There's a pig named Candy running in the seventh. Take it or leave it. What a tip! He... I don't get it. Well, what's really on your mind, lady?
2: Here, Here's a 20. You can play it on candy all for yourself. Well. Do you know a gent named Martinello Butch? He owns the Charlemagne down the block.
3: Sure. What about him?
2: That's what I'm asking you. What about him?
3: Oh, he's all right. A little screwy, but he keeps his nose clean. Is that all? Yeah.
6: Should there be more?
2: I don't know. Thanks, Butch. I hope candy pays off. I was getting nowhere, that was for sure, and the rest of the day went the same way. Dead ends, blind alleys. I checked as many loose ends as I possibly could, but I was still stuck in a quandary. But the crusher claimed late in the afternoon when I got a copy of the light paper and read where Candy came in at Bay Meadows and paid thirty-two twenty, And I hadn't had sense enough to get aboard. When I got home, the phone was ringing. Hello, Candy Metzen.
1: Oh, your Candy Metzen, I should play a fanfare.
2: Oh, hello, Rembrandt, dear. How are you?
1: Like an October morning. Every single one of the pores is breathing great, huge gulps of air. What? I just had a facial dove. Most invigorating.
2: Uh, what on earth for? I loved your old pores just the way they were.
1: Candy, you've forgotten.
2: I have? Forgotten what, Rembrandt?
1: We're going to the
7: opera tonight.
2: Oh, Ducky, I'm sorry. I had forgotten. I'm afraid I'll have to renege. Now,
7: Candy, you promised, And I don't care what you're involved in. It'll do you good.
2: But, Rembrandt, I'm working on it. Mm, perhaps you're right. Okay, I'll get ready.
7: Wonderful, dear. Pick me up about a quarter of eight, will you?
2: Pick you up a quarter of eight? Yeah, yeah,
7: yeah. Oh, and another thing, Lamb. We may have to do some entertaining afterward. Uh, do bring some cash, will you?
0: Mm-hmm. That's the girl. <laughs> baby, baby, baby.
2: That Rembrandt, always stony broke. I guess photography isn't what it's cracked up to be. I didn't mind, though. He's been a friend to me on more than one occasion. Then well, if I was going to the opera, I had to start thinking in operatic terms. I fished around in the closet and came up with something that would have done any woman's heart good. One of those strapless affairs that you can't stop breathing in for one moment, otherwise the opera is no longer the main attraction. I powdered, perfumed, pouted and rouged and took off after Rembrandt. But just as I started to leave... Just a moment.
1: Well, get a load of the
2: Duchess.
1: (laughs) It won't be Halloween for another couple of weeks yet.
2: Oh, very funny. Come on in, Miller.
1: What are you decked out for, Candy?
2: Something you wouldn't understand. I'm going to the opera.
1: Oh, I love the opera. Any horse opera with Tex Acuff in it. That's what I thought.
2: What's on your mind, Mallard? I've got to pick up Rembrandt in ten minutes.
1: I was just driving by, so I thought I'd stop and tell you the news. News? About what? We found El Diablo.
2: The guy in the icebox?
1: Yeah. Martinello identified him. He was floating in the water off Aquatic Park.
2: Any lead on him?
1: The best. He was Salavini, the second baritone with the opera company. That's all, Candy. I hope you enjoy the performance tonight.
2: A baritone with the opera company. Well, that explained the costume, but it didn't explain a lot of other things. I walked down the stairs with Mallard. He got in his squad car, flicked on the flashing red light, and with a burst of his siren, rolled down the street. I had to speak to Mallard about that. All the neighbors had their heads out of their windows as I climbed into my car and followed. What an exit. I picked up Rembrandt, and we drove up to the Civic Center. I found a place to park. A minor miracle. The last time I went to the opera, I had to drive almost to Palo Alto and come back by train. Rembrandt's friend must have been very influential. We had seats in the Diamond Horseshoe. They were presenting Tales of Hoffman, and a friend of mine, Dorothy Warrenschild, was singing the role of Antonia. It was a fine performance, and after the last curtain, I took Rembrandt, and we went backstage to see Dorothy.
0: This is her dressing room,
2: Rembrandt.
9: Yes?
2: Hello, Dorothy. This is Candy and I have a friend
9: with me. Oh, do come in, please, Candy. Candy, how are you?
2: Couldn't be better. Dorothy, may I present Mr. Watson.
7: Rembrandt, this is Miss Warren Schultz. Delighted. You're in magnificent voice tonight, dear, dear.
9: Thank you. Sit down, won't you? I've only a moment. We're rehearsing some of the scenes in Faust tonight. Rehearsing? After a full
2: evening's performance?
9: It has to be done, Candy. Our baritone disappeared. We've had to replace him with a new man.
2: Yes, yes, I know. By the way, Dorothy, I heard you on your Standard Hour broadcast a few weeks ago. It was a wonderful performance.
9: I'm glad you liked it, Candy. I always look forward to those. What are your plans, Dorothy? Well, the season closes here, and then we open in Los Angeles. Oh, yes, of course. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Come in.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you had
9: guests. That's all right. Oh, Candy, I'd like to introduce Rolf Herberts. This is Miss Matson and Mr. Watson. Thank you, Hello. Hello. Mr. Herberts is our new baritone. Oh, yes. That's why we're rehearsing tonight.
3: I uh, won't take any more of your time, Dorothy. I just thought we'd save a few moments of rehearsal if I told you that I don't uh, move in that last scene. I
7: sing upstage. That will leave you free to take as much stage as you like.
9: Fine, Rolf. That will save time. Thanks.
7: Oh, not at all.
3: Glad to have met you, Miss Madsen, Mr. Watson. Glad to have met you, sir. Uh, See you on stage, Dorothy. Yes,
9: Rolf. Rolf has a wonderful voice, and he's a good actor, too. You know, I think he'll be even better than Salavini. I've
2: seen him before.
9: Oh, yes, he's been in pictures and on the concert stage, and in opera, too. But he's he's never really had a good break. This might be it. Uh Uh-oh, that's it, Candy. I'm sorry, but I'll have to leave. Certainly, Dorothy. Say, why don't you stand in the wings? You can watch the rehearsal if you'd like. Oh, I'd love it. Come on, then. Follow me. All right. The place is everyone. Places. This is all right, Candy. You can stay right here. Thanks, Dorothy. Glad to have met you, Mr. Watson.
1: Also, as we used to say in the theater,
10: go out there and kill them.
9: <laughs> See you later. Where is Miss Wally's shop? Ah, there you are. Her birds, Where's her birds? I saw him just a moment ago in the dressing room. Well, it's
1: late. We've got to keep moving.
9: Please, somebody find
1: Herbert.
2: Ah! From way up in the heights of the stage, the opera house was pierced with a blood-curdling scream. That was no ordinary scream. It was a scream of death. You wait here, Rembrandt. Keep your eyes open. I'm going up to have a look. That scream wasn't in the score of Faust. I punched the button for the backstage elevator. It's a good thing they work fast and are speedy. Once inside, I pressed the button for the fourth gallery. I got out. This was the top of the opera house. The place was loaded with old sets, props, papier-mâché alligators, gold goblets. Then, over on the other side of the catwalk, I saw it. The body of a man all crumpled and distorted. I hit the catwalk and ran over. It was a hundred feet above the stage, and as I looked down, I could see a score of strained faces looking up through the darkness. I got on the other side and bent over the body. It was that of Rawl Herbert. Andy, down here. I
1: think your man just stepped down underneath the stage.
2: Again, I did a Mel Patton. The elevator shot me down to the stage level, and there was Rembrandt, wild-eyed.
7: He came down the elevator on the other side, Candy. Then he cut across the stage and down those steps.
2: Come on, Rembrandt, follow me. I may need help. We ran down the steps and into the bowels of the stage. It looked like a nightmare, a myriad of cross beams of steel for the rising stages. We cleared those and went around by the chorus dressing rooms. There was only one out. I remembered it. A door over in the corner, very seldom used, but it was open. It led into a long tunnel with giant steam pipes running overhead and to the right. This went underground over to the veterans' building. Down by your feet, there's a stream of water flowing in a trough at the old Hayes Valley Creek. Our killer decidedly knew his opera house. As we entered the tunnel, I could see him up ahead running like crazy, so we took off after him. We made the other side, and it breaks into a big engine room. As we came into the opening, I looked around. The engineer was lying on the floor out like a light, blood spurting from his scalp. Then I glanced up. There was another door. This led into the veterans building itself and an avenue of escape onto Vanette. I ran up. Then as we got into the long corridor, I saw Martinello breaking for the door. Stop! Stop, Martinello!
1: Stop! You think I am a fool?
2: I do if you don't stop.
1: Try and get me.
2: Okay, pal. You asked for it. <laughs> It was the first time I had ever shot a man. It didn't feel good. But he lived. And later the doctors of law gave him a little pill. The cyanide kind they dropped inside the gas chamber at San Quentin. Martinello paid his debt. Details? Sure, I'll fill him in now. Martinello loved to sing. Ray Mallard had told me that. For years, Carlo had been hanging around the opera house hoping to step into a role. This season, a director had jokingly told him that if he ran out of baritones, he'd let Carlo take over. Carlo took him seriously. He lured Salavini down to his restaurant on a fake emergency call, costume and all, and did him in. But then he became frightened. That's when he called me. It was worth $2,000 to have me hush things up. But I don't operate like that. He had a hunch I was going to tip off Mallard. That's when he removed the body from the icebox and dumped him into the bay. Carlo had also been at the performance of Tales of Hoffman. That's when he learned that they'd wrestled up Ralph Herbert's to sing in place of Salovini. By this time, Martinello was obsessed with the idea of singing in the opera house and wouldn't stop at anything. Right after Herbert left Warren Schold's dressing room, he managed to get Herbert's into the elevator and up to the fourth gallery behind the stage. That scream was produced by a six-inch stiletto through Herbert's heart. From the hands of Martinello. And that's when our chase began. I hope I never see that tunnel under the opera house again. That Mallard and his sentiments. It was he who gave me that gun just a week before, for my birthday. He said I needed protection. Well, darn it, I do. But I can't get Mallard to believe me. Instead, he just gives me guns.
3: Listen again at this same time next week. For excitement and adventure, just dial
2: Candy Matson, Yukon 28209. <laughs>
3: Heard tonight were Harry Bechtel as Ralph Herberts, Jerry Walter as Carlo Martinello. Henry Leff plays the role of Inspector Mallard and in Jack Thomas' as Rembrandt. Dorothy Warren star of the Standard Hour and the San Francisco Opera Company, was heard as herself. The program stars Natalie Masters as Candy and is written and produced by Monty Masters. With the exception of Miss Warren any resemblance to actual people in tonight's play is purely coincidental. Candy Matson comes to you from San Francisco. This is Dudley Manlove speaking. You are tuned for the stars on NBC.
2: Hello, Yukon 28209. Yes, this is Candy Matson.
3: The National Broadcasting Company presents Candy Matson, Yukon 28209.
10: Candy? Candy, over here! What? Why, Myra Fisher.
2: What are you doing here in a department store with your work clothes on?
10: I work here, dear. I'm a wage slave. Well,
2: I must say on you, it looks good. What do you slave at?
10: I'm head of advertising and promotion. Well, quite a spot, hey, girl? No, well, it was until this morning. Oh? Now my neck is in the fire.
2: What'd you do? Forget to proofread one of your ads?
10: Nothing so trivial, dear, believe me. But am I glad to have bumped into you. Maybe you'll change your mind when I tell you I've been shoplifting. No, I'm serious, Candy. Uh, could you spare a moment and come on up to my office? Why, sure. And wipe that sound from
2: off your
0: brow.
10: It's wrinkling your makeup. Well, yours would wrinkle, too, if you had a missing Santa Claus helper on your hand.
3: Well, well, now, there's a situation. And it almost broke Candy Matson's heart when someone told her there was no Santa Claus's helper, one Jack Frost. Listen, here she is now to tell you about it.
2: That's right, what the man said. I ran into a deal where we had a missing Santa Claus helper, Jack Frost. The jet with the icicles was supposed to talk to the tiny tots at the brownstone, one of San Francisco's larger and classier department stores. I'd gone down there that afternoon shopping. I wanted a bow tie for my old pal Inspector Ray Nallard of the San Francisco Police Department, a bow tie that lit up and spelled Cossack when you pressed the button on the battery. That was when I bumped into this gal, Myra Fisher. We went up to her office on the sixth floor and she sat me down. cigaretteed me, too.
10: You think I'm fooling about this Jack Frost thing, don't you, Candy? Well, now, look, dear, we all have our little peccadilloes. Yours just merely happens to be a missing Jack Frost.
2: You'll get over it.
10: I refrain from hurling this ashtray at you, Candy, only because of our long acquaintance. Good. Now, listen to me. We've had a Santa Claus helper here for almost a month, and a darn good one. The kids were crazy about him. This morning, he didn't show.
2: You don't suppose Jackie boy got in the mood and caught the Christmas spirit, do you? The kind that
10: comes in pints? No, he wasn't that sort of Joe. Well, your answer's simple. Hire a new one. They're hired through an agency. I called the one we do business with, and they're fresh out of Jack Frost. And I've got to get one, Candy. Otherwise, I come down ten notches in the opinion of the brass.
2: I don't want you to think I'm unsympathetic, Myra, but what can I do? When
10: you get around, you know people. Find me somebody. Anybody who'll take over the job of being Jack Frost.
2: <sighs> well, okay. I'll do the best I can, Mara.
10: Candy, you're a dear. <laughs> yeah, one of Santa's dears.
2: Okay, I'll try and find you a Jack Frost, Mara, but don't hold it against me if he turns out to look more like Humpty Dumpty. I went home and looked up the Webster definition of sauce. It said sauce, easily yielding to pressure. That was me, Candy Matson, girl dope. Here I had all my Christmas shopping to do, and I agreed to find a substitute for Jack Frost. I had no idea where to start. So I changed into something red and green for a stop and go, also for Christmas, and went over to see my friendly advisor, Rembrandt Watson. Rembrandt is a photographer and excellent, too, now that he doesn't have the sherry shivers or the pork palsies. He lives on California Street, just kitten rompers from old St. Mary's, with a statue of Sun Yat-sen for company in a park next door.
1: Sandy doll. How delightful. Do come in, won't you?
2: Thanks, Rembrandt.
1: Oh, Pat, you're acquainted with my friend Diogenes
8: Murphy, aren't
2: you? Oh, yes. Hello again, Mr. Murphy. Oh, good afternoon, lad. You look prettier than you did the
8: last time I saw you. Uh-oh. Here comes the blarney. Uh, young lady, Diogenes Murphy, the honest Irishman, never says a word he doesn't mean. Now, how do you think I managed to sell so many used cars at the place out on Van Avenue? <laughs> because huh? you're an honest Irishman. Oh, <laughs> bo- 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 you're so right, lad. <laughs> Uh, incidentally, if you need a good car, I can get you one at a very reasonable... Diogenes? Oh, sorry, I got carried away. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to barge in on you like this, Rembrandt. No, be ridiculous, dear. No, don't be. Think nothing of it, lad. I'm on my way now. Uh, Rembrandt and I were only discussing the situation of the world. And to what conclusion did you come? To? Uh, it stinks. <laughs> the bottom of the afternoon to the bottom. <laughs>
2: oh, he's quite a boy.
1: Yes, I'm very
8: fond of Diogenes. What brings you around this way, dear? Jack Frost. Yes. Now, getting on with our conversation, what brings you around this way, dear? Jack Frost. Maybe the needle's bad. Shall we try again?
2: I know how you feel. I reacted the same way myself. I'll give you the pocket-sized edition. The Brownstone Department Store is without a Santa Claus helper, Jack Frost. He didn't show up for work this morning. I said I'd find him a new one.
8: That's very sweet of you, Dove.
2: Very dumb of me, Dove. I know of only one character who even remotely looks like Jack Frost. I met him up in Alaska when I was traveling with the USO.
1: Won't do you much good down here with it?
2: No. That's why I came to see you, Rembrandt. Don't you keep a, a cross-file on models you've used in photography?
8: As a matter of fact, I do. Here in this little book. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Men. Thin. Extremely. I have just one. Pietro Tarantello. Would you care for a Sicilian, Jack Frost? In Sicily, yes. Hey, what's that? Where?
2: On that chair next to you.
8: Oh, That's the afternoon paper, dear. Diogenes left it, I imagine.
2: Yes, but on the front page... Here's the whole story about the missing Jack Frost on the front page. Ooh, what he got in his Christmas talking. A slug through the head.
8: That's no way to treat Jack Frost.
2: And here's a picture of the guy without his false icicles.
8: What the? ham? Um, looks like he stepped right out of an 1890 Shakespearean play.
2: I hate to say this, Rembrandt, but he resembles you.
1: I take back what I said.
2: Rembrandt?
1: Divorce yourself from that tone of voice, Candy. I don't like it.
2: Rembrandt, I've got an idea. You
1: usually do. You
2: like little children. Can't
1: stand them. You like to talk to people. I abhor conversation. You
2: like to be charming.
1: Lost me charm. Gay? Lost me gay.
2: With the help of a few icicles, Ducky, you're going to be Jack Frost. Rembrandt fought, he argued, he paced the floor, he had the vapors, he fainted. I brought him to. I won the argument... I got my friend Myra Fisher on the phone and informed her that one R. Watson would assume the role of Jolly Jack Frost on the morrow. She was delighted. I couldn't say the same for Rembrandt. Then I went home. I was greeted by a sound very much like that of a phone ringing. Using my keen instincts, I figured it was the phone. It was. Hello, Candy Matson.
8: Uh, how do you do, Miss Matson? Uh, allow me to introduce myself. Allowed? My name is Burke, Prentice Burke. I'm the first assistant vice president of the Brownstones.
2: Brownstone. Oh, yes, that's a store of some kind, isn't it?
8: Uh, Yes. Uh, Now, the reason for my call. uh, There has been, shall I say, a rather unfortunate occurrence in our store today.
2: Mm, So I read.
8: I need the help of a professional sleuth. Uh, You were highly recommended by the head of our advertising department, Miss Myra Fisher. Uh
2: Aha. The thick platin.
8: I beg your pardon?
2: No need to. You didn't do anything.
8: Okay. Care to talk to me now, Mr. Burke? Uh, I'd much rather have you come down to my office, Miss Batson. Uh, this matter is uh, of an extremely confidential nature.
2: I'm your girl, then, figuratively speaking. How long will you be there?
8: Uh, as long as necessary. Uh, that's up to you. Very
2: well. I'll be there in half an hour, if I can find a place to park. I only had time for a fast change, so I made it from Andescray to Taboo. I sniffed at it and felt I was on the right sense. Then I climbed in my car, drove down Carney Street, waved a crisp single under the nose of a hotel doorman and had my car taken care of. Then into the brownstone and up to Mr. Prentice Burke's office. I slipped a hip past the girl's secretary and walked on in. Burke was waiting for me. That was obvious. I could tell by the expression on his face it was worried look number 12B. How do you do, Mr. Burke? I'm Candy
8: Mattson. Uh, oh, uh, sit down, won't you? <laughs> Thank
2: you. Now, our subject is what?
8: Uh, a man named Jordan.
2: That's on another network.
8: I beg your pardon? Oh,
2: that's all right. Uh, Now, about this Jordan. Uh,
8: Yes, uh, Ralph Jordan, to be exact.
2: Well, that's a relief. For a moment, I thought you wanted to talk about Jack Frost.
8: Uh, That's just it. He was Jack Frost. Uh Oh, me and my big mouth. Uh, He was working here up until yesterday afternoon. Uh, Maybe you read about it. He was found shot today.
2: Yes, yes, I read about it.
8: Uh, That's the reason I've called you.
2: Why didn't you have your own store detective take over, Mr. Burke? Uh, No,
8: no. uh, That would never do. I want no one in the store to know what's going on, ah intrigue uh, quite possibly. I have reason to suspect that Jordan was killed by someone in our employ. I want to find out who that someone was before the police do and get it splashed all over the front pages.
2: Publicity, can't you say?
8: business has been off for a whole year, and any bad breaks in the press would hurt us that much more.
2: Maybe you've got a point there, I don't know. I know I have okay, I'll take the job. You say you have a suspicion. What is it?
8: Well, nothing tangible. It's just a feeling I have. Oh, that's a big help.
2: Well, I'll mush around and see what I can pick up. I'll bill you tomorrow for my first day's work. It's much easier to sustain a friendship on a daily basis. I left Burke looking as though someone had just called his store a bazaar. It was closing time, so I hefted my way through the crush and retrieved my car from the doorman. The Hall of Justice is right on my way home, so I decided to drop in on my old pal Mallard. Inspector Ray Mallard of San Francisco Homicide. A nice guy to serve coffee to on Sunday mornings if you could ever lasso him. I never could get strong enough rope.
1: Candy, what brings you around here?
2: I hate to have my Christmas ruined so early. What about that Jack Frost character?
1: Oh, yeah. Poor guy got it good.
2: Where'd you find him?
1: In his apartment over on 17th. He lived near Seal Stadium. Why so interested, Candy?
2: Rembrandt's a dead ringer for the guy.
1: I still don't get the...
2: The gal who head of advertising for the brownstone was going out of her head for another Jack Frost. I talked Rembrandt into taking the job. Oh, <laughs> does sound funny, doesn't it? Bring me up to date, Molly. Did you get any dope on the killing?
1: Nothing but a forty-five slug out of the guy's wall. Ballistics is checking it now. Nothing else? If I did, I should tell you.
2: No, no, oh, I guess not.
1: This goes beyond just a normal curiosity, Candy. What are you drilling for?
2: Oh, it's only that I'm worried about Rembrandt. I got him the job. I'm responsible. I wouldn't want anything to happen to him.
1: Ask a silly question, Mallard, and you get a silly answer. Okay, let's forget it. How's about dinner tonight?
2: I've fought this thing long enough. Okay.
1: Uh, Candy. Uh,
2: yes, Mallard?
8: We've
1: known each other a good long time, haven't we?
2: That's right. Ever since the fair on Treasure Island.
1: We've had our little quarrels, little misunderstandings. Oh,
2: but they never seem to last long, though, do they?
1: No. That's why
8: I feel I have every right to ask you a question.
2: Wait, yes, I'd say you do, Mallard.
8: Maybe I'll ask you tonight.
2: No, 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 go ahead. Now's as good a time as any.
8: Perhaps it is, Candy. Mm -hmm.
1: You get around a lot, you meet people. Do you know where I can get a couple of tickets to the Rose Bowl game?
2: My brain lit up like a Roman candle. I stormed for the door, turned back, stood there, my jaw waggling helplessly. Then I stuck my tongue out at Mallard and left. It was the only thing I could think of doing. Oh, he can make me so mad. But inside half an hour after I got home, I I started to laugh. (laughs) Felt much better. Just as I was puttering around getting ready, the apartment buzzer buzzed. That Mallard, much too early.
10: But I was wrong. It wasn't Mallard. Well, Myra, what a surprise. Do come in, won't you? No, thanks, Candy. A friend of mine's waiting in his car outside. He's driving me home. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't stay for a moment? So, my dear, I just dropped by to leave this. Merely a little token of thanks for getting me off the hook.
2: Oh, Myra, there, there wasn't any need to do that.
10: Just a few pair of old stockings, dear. Getting me my new Jack Frost means more than you know. Here, please take them, along with my very deepest thanks.
2: Oh, thanks so much. A girl can always use them.
10: Are you all set with my friend, Mr. Watson? Oh, yes. He came in this afternoon and filled out his withholding tax and so on. Very nice. I think you'll find him very efficient, Myra. Oh. What's the matter?
1: Uh, pardon me. I didn't mean to frighten you.
10: Oh, Mallard. <sighs>
2: Silly of me, I must have jumped a foot. Oh, that's all right. He frightens me, too. Myra, I'd like to
10: have you meet Inspector Mallard. Inspector, Miss Fisher. How do you do? Oh, fine, thank you, now that I've caught my breath. Do forgive me, Candy, but I must rush. See you soon, I hope. Tomorrow, Myra, I'll be down to see how my lad's doing as Jack Frost. Thanks for the stockings.
1: Well... Aren't you going to invite me in?
2: No, I'm not. Here's my coat right here. What's the hurry? Come on, let's go. I'm starved. I thought we could have
1: a cocktail here before we left.
2: You thought it wrong. Two tickets to the Rose Bowl. From now on, you earn your cocktails, Mallard. We went downstairs, and as I locked the front door, a car was just driving off. It was Myra, and she waved. And driving, if these tired old eyes hadn't deceived me, was... Mr. Prentice Burke, vice president of the Brownstone. Well. Oh, well. Mallard and I climbed into our car and drove out to the cliff house. It was that kind of an evening. We had dinner, and after, I suggested we walk a bit. The night was crisp and clear, and the evening star was hanging out above the dark waters of the Pacific like an iridescent Japanese lantern. We cut across a little road above Sutro Baths, where an old car barn had once stood, and worked our way over the cliffs and stood high above Land's End. It was exhilarating.
8: Penny for your thoughts, Candy.
2: Inflation is still here.
1: All right. Make it two pennies.
2: Well, I was just thinking, Mallard, dear. When you see a star in the sky, soft water below, feel Christmas in the air, how can there be violence in the world?
1: An age-old question, pal. One I can't answer. I'm too small. Hey... You're cold. I'd better put my arm around hey,
2: you. Mallard, no. What's Mallard? The headlights from that automobile are shining right down on us, and we... Mallard.
1: Candy, what's wrong?
2: Got your flashlight with you?
1: Sure. Also, my gun and my handcuffs. Anything else we need? A mortar, maybe?
2: The lights from that car. They shone on something. Down there, under that tree.
1: Oh, Candy, just for once, can't you stop digging up a mystery? Be human?
2: I am being human. Come on, Mallard. I want to see what's under that tree. <laughs> We scrambled around through the brush slipped into some sliding sand And rode the crest down to the tree It wasn't easy to get around some of those brambles But get there I fully intended doing Because what I saw was red Bright red
1: You... you okay, Candy?
2: Nothing that a, a new pair of nylons won't fix Shoot the flashlight over the, this way a bit Now we
1: uh-huh. there
2: That's it now, do you think I'm dreaming things up? Uh, what is it? Wait, I hold it up.
1: <laughs> wow, well, looks like some kind of a costume.
2: Right, and look, if those aren't bloodstains, I'm a Labrador Retriever.
1: No, you're Candy Matson. Those are bloodstains.
2: How was your boy dressed when you found him?
1: Torn slacks, sweater, shoes, no socks.
8: This was most likely his costume then.
1: Yeah, don't move around too much, Candy. I want to have a good look at the ground. Hey, what are you doing down there? Who's that? The police. Now, get up here and don't try any tricks. That's all right, officer. This is Inspector Mallard. Homicide. Oh, sorry, Inspector. That's all right. Stay right where you are. We'll be right up. Now, this is a break, Candy. I want you to drive me to a phone. I'll leave the officer here to guard the place. You can go home. I've got work to do here, okay?
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> for once, we had dinner before you had a chance to day- break the date. <laughs> This baby was hard to reconstruct. Was the guy knocked off out there at Land's End or was he bumped off at his apartment, the killer driving way out to the beach and hiding the costume? Only time would tell. I went home, climbed into bed, and logged about eight hours, enough to give me fuel for the next day. In the morning I went down to the brownstone. The shoppers were already swarming through the place. I spotted a floor walker and strolled over to him. Pardon me,
8: sir. I... I said pardon me, sir. I'm very busy, young lady. Make it as brief as possible. I... You do work here, don't you? Of course.
2: You are the floor walker assigned to this section?
8: That is correct. Come to the point, please.
2: Of all the... Well, I've a good mind to report you.
8: As you wish. As I said, I'm very busy. Now, what is it you wanted to know?
2: The words are like gall in my mouth now, but where do I find Jack Frost? Right over there,
8: in the back, two aisles over. Thank you. Not at all.
2: Very much all the high-handed characters, people like that make me steam. I was getting up a full head of dander, but it simmered out before I had a chance to boil over. Because as I rounded a corner, I saw Frosty Boy, or Rembrandt, if you choose, up on his platform with the cutest little blonde kid sitting in his lap.
1: Well, well, well. Look who we have here. Great big boy. Hello there, son.
0: Oh, Jack Frost.
1: What is your name?
0: Popper.
8: Popper, My, what a fine name. How old are you, Topper?
0: Five and a half.
8: Five and a half. Well, you must go to school, Topper. Which one? Garfield. Garfield. That's a good school. Now, tell me, uh, what would you like to have me tell Santa Claus to bring you for Christmas, Topper?
2: An electric train and a
0: baseball bat, and I'd like to be in the seals for luck, the Old Duel. Well,
8: I'll see what I can do to arrange that, Topper. I'll tell Santa Claus. Bye now.
2: Goodbye. Goodbye. And thank you, and Merry Christmas. I hope you can make the boy's wish come true. O'Doul could use him.
8: Candy, oh, I'm so glad you're here, though. Look around into the back room for a moment. I've got to talk to you.
2: Aren't you working, Frosty boy?
8: I've got ten minutes off every hour. I'll take the break now. Right around there, Candy.
2: Okay. I'll see you in
0: a moment. What's
2: the matter, Rembrandt? Even under those icicles, you look warm under the collar.
8: Yeah. look at this. Every now and then, one of these moppets toddles up to me with a Christmas letter in its hand. A little red-headed girl handed me this about half an hour ago.
1: I've been shaking ever since.
2: Let me see. Dear Jack Frost, a word to the wise is sufficient. When you take your lunch hour, keep on going. Don't come back. Otherwise, you'll meet the same fate as your predecessor. Hmm. Just about what I expected.
8: Candy! You mean to say that you're deliberately
1: using near the sacrificial lamb? By
2: no means, Ducky. Go ahead, take your lunch. Then do as the note says. Keep on going. As a matter of fact, why don't you take off now? I'll meet you at your place in about an hour.
1: That's the best news I've heard since Nelson's victory at Trafalgar.
2: I whipped upstairs, reported to Prentice Burke, got my first day's check, and on my way out, told his secretary she'd better get Burke some smelling salts. Then I went back down on the floor again. Sure enough, there was my boy, the floor walker. I wanted to have a few more words with him.
8: Oh, you again?
2: If you don't mind, I was just up to see Miss Myra Fisher. She wasn't in. Have you seen her down here?
8: No, and what's more, I won't see her all day. She phoned saying she was feeling ill. Most inconsiderate, I must say, during the holiday rush. Yes, I must.
2: Uh, could you give me her address? She's a friend of mine. I've got to see her.
8: Her address? yes. Write it down here on one of my cards for you. Myra Fisher, 227 F, Union Street. There.
2: Thank you. You're so kind. I had all the ammunition I wanted. A check signed by Burke and a card written by the floor walker. His name was Simon Liggett. With that, I ducked into a phone booth and called Mallard.
1: I'm aside. Mallard speaking.
2: Good boy. This is Candy. What did you find out at Land's End last night?
1: A couple of very juicy footprints. They give us nothing.
2: Did you make any casts of them?
1: Why, sure.
2: Mind if I borrow a couple of them for a few hours, Mallard?
1: Well, I don't see how it'll hurt. Sure,
8: okay. Thanks, Mallard, dear.
2: I'll be by in a moment. And uh, I want to borrow you, too. I stopped by the Hall of Justice, got the cast of the footprints, shoved Mallard into the car, and then picked up Rembrandt. The thing was only a hunch, but my hunches have paid off, so I never ignore them. First, we went out to an address on Fifth Avenue near Clement. We got in the back door and went to work. Nothing made sense there, so we drove over to Receipt Way in the marina. Again, we got in and did some sleuthing. This time, we hit the jackpot. A pair of shoes in the closet matched the casts we had brought with us. Rembrandt, go out in the kitchen and, and see if this place has any ketchup.
1: I'm not hungry, Doug, but... Oh, look, what are you up to, Candy? We've got enough to swing a case here.
2: I'm working for a voluntary confession, Miller. Tell me, what was the position that the, the Jack Frost was in when you found him dead?
1: In a chair, like that one. His head slumped down on his chest. Good. Here's the concert, Dove. What are you putting it on?
2: You what? Without the bun or relish, Ducky. Sit down there, will you, Rembrandt? Yeah. Now, just go limp and let your head hang down. That's it.
8: Now for a little seasoning. Oh, Candy, you're smearing me with this
10: sticky stuff. All oh, for the sake of art. Hold
8: still.
2: There. How does he look, Mallard?
8: Why, all the... Daddy, looks like the same guy, the real thing. Good.
2: Now, remember Aunt, you just sit like that. Don't move. Mallard, you duck into that closet over there and I'll hide in here. We've got a good view of the front door from both places. Okay?
1: Okay. There are times, Candy, when I admit I admire your genius.
2: Genius, genius. Come on, let's hide. The golden shafts of sun splashing in through the window from the ocean slowly turned pink, then purple, and into twilight. The minutes ticked on. Once... Bless you, but quiet, though, Rembrandt. You'll muff up your ketchup five minutes ten and we heard muffled footsteps coming down the hall and a key inserted in the lock of the apartment door
1: Okay, buddy, uh, that'll be about what? enough. Oh, no.
2: You're... Get him, Mallard. He's ducking. I'll
1: get him. Oh, no. oh.
10: Nice tackle, Mallard. All
1: right, Mac. You're going to remain peaceful, or do I have to give you a little tap?
10: No, no. I'll be quiet. You got me. I did it. I did it to both of them. I killed them. I killed them. I killed, them. I killed both of them. Both of I killed them? them? Yeah. Look behind the sofa. The sofa. Wait a minute, Mallard. I had
3: to do it. Oh, Oh. Oh, oh, Mallard.
10: What
8: trouble, Candy?
0: (laughs) Yes. An old friend of mine, the The late Myra Fisher.
2: The whole thing was jealousy. Not the jealousy of a man for a woman, but the jealousy of a man for a job. Simon Liggett had been with the Brownstone for almost 20 years. He'd worked himself up from the stock boy to a place where he'd been promised the job of head of advertising and promotion. He almost got it. Except at the last moment, Prentice Burke gave the position to Myra Fisher. That had only been two weeks before. He knew that Myra was on a probationary term, so he did everything he could to undermine her. Little things like changing ad copies, sending out false stories to newspapers. He figured that if he could keep the store without a Santa Claus helper... He'd break Myra's back and get the job by the first of the year. He paid a visit to the first Jack Frost and tried to bribe him into quitting. But the guy would have none of it. There was a struggle. Liggett lost his head and whipped out a gun and shot him. He was still in his costume. So Liggett stripped him, put some old clothes on him, drove out to Land's End and ditched his costume. Then he felt sure there would be no Jack Frost the next day. But that's when Myra met me and I talked Rembrandt into taking over. By this time, Liggett was in a frenzy and would stop at nothing... He trailed Myra and Burke to Myra's home, killed her, took her body over to his place, and ditched it behind the sofa. The next morning, he wrote a note to Rembrandt and gave it to one of the little girls waiting in line to see him. Fear and envy were taking their toll on the poor guy's mind. I wanted to compare the handwriting, so I had Burke write me a check and Leggett write Myra's address on a card. Also, we had the footprint cast. Between the two, everything pointed toward Liggett. That's when I staged my little parlor charade with Rembrandt playing the part of a corpse. The sight, with Rembrandt's resemblance to the dead Jack Frost, would shatter anybody into a confession. But Christmas, in spite of everything, is a lovely time of year. And there is a Santa Claus. Three of them for me, as a matter of fact. Mr. Prentice Burke, who sent me a very nice check for my efforts. Rembrandt Watson, who, out of sheer love for the job, went back to playing Jack Frost for all the kids at the Brownstones, And last but not least, Inspector Ray Mallard. He gave me a Christmas sock oh, right on my mouth, just where any well-placed Christmas sock should go.
3: Listen again next week at this same time for excitement and adventure just dial...
2: Candy Matson and a Merry Christmas to you all. Yukon 28209.
3: Heard tonight were Helen Klebe as Myra Fisher, Lou Tobin as Prentice Burke, and John Grover as Simon Leggett. Jack Thomas plays the role of Rembrandt Watson, and Henry Leff is heard as Inspector Mallard. The program stars Natalie Masters as Candy, and is written and produced by Monty Masters. Sound effects were created by Bill Brownell and Jay Rendon. Eloise Rowan is heard at the organ. The characters in tonight's story are entirely fictitious, with the exception of the part of Topper, which was played by himself. Any resemblance to actual people is purely coincidental. The program came to you from San Francisco. Dudley Manlove speaking. You are tuned for the stars on NBC.
2: Hello, Yukon 28209. Yes, this is Candy Matson.
3: The National Broadcasting Company presents Candy Matson, Yukon 28209. This is the start of a mystery. Our main character is a San Francisco girl detective, Candy Matson. There are others in the show, too. An Inspector Mallard, a gent who calls himself Rembrandt Watson, a cowboy, a dude ranch owner, and a gal, the casting agency assured us, was a dowager, slightly boozy. There are a few other voices along the way, too. I think that has all the makings of a good mystery show, don't you? Well, let's go on from here and find out. So here's Candy Matson. <laughs>
2: Like the man just said, this is the start of a mystery. Christmas had me completely tuckered out. No one had invited me to the Rose Bowl game or the East-West at Keys are, so I decided to make like a bear and hibernate over New Year's. It worked out perfectly because, as my old friend Rembrandt Watson put it... You wish to greet
1: 1950 in some remote spot? Is that the idea, Dove?
2: That's the idea, Ducky.
1: I have the perfect place for you. A dude ranch, reasonable... Just on the other side of Sonoma, in the Valley of the Moon.
2: Valley of the Moon. New Year's Eve in the Valley of the Moon. Rembrandt, that sends me. Good.
1: Maybe it can send us both. I have a commission to take some pictures up there for a brochure they're putting out. I have to be there tomorrow afternoon. Yes. I see you're nibbling at the bait. I shall be blunt. Why don't you drive me up?
5: You've
2: won your point. I'll pick you up tomorrow at what time?
1: but I'll be spectacular and say, High Noon. High Noon? And uh, do bring some cash, will you, girl? I'm a little short.
2: I thought you were going up there on a commission.
1: Yes, I am. But they have some simply divine one-arm devices. And? And there goes me commission.
2: Naturally, a girl has to look right to welcome in the New Year. That gave me the perfect excuse to squander a few hard-earned dollars and cents on some lovely clothes that didn't make sense that cost dollars. The afternoon was aging gracefully. A little gray here and a wrinkle or two there. So I stopped for a parfait, very dry and no olives. With that mission accomplished, I headed back over Carney Street. And as I wheeled past Portsmouth Square in the Hall of Justice, I realized I hadn't seen my chum Mallard in quite some time. Inspector Ray Mallard of San Francisco Homicide. A very smart cop who can smell a clue a mile away. But when it comes to me, he very conveniently carries his own fog around. <coughs>
1: Well, Candy, my little cupcake.
2: Mallard, dear, you called me your little cupcake.
1: Sure, it's still the Christmas season. Let's be charitable, I always say. What do you always say? Uh,
2: in a situation like this, nothing. I just exude a stream of steam from the top of my head.
1: Very cute. What brings you around our boarding house?
2: You, Darn it. I thought you might like to know I'm going away for a week.
1: What did they get you on, petty theft? Yeah,
2: and they got me as I tried to make my getaway on a tricycle. <laughs> <laughs> but for your information, Inspector, I'm, I'm spending my New Year's Eve up in the Valley of the Moon.
1: Oh, want to get away from it all, huh?
2: That's right. You in particular.
1: In that case, may I get you a midwinter vacation off to a flying start? You can
2: try. How?
1: I'm not working tonight. How's about a movie?
2: You've got yourself a date. What's playing? Tech Texas uh, That's what I thought. Where's Tex and his faithful horse Mustard playing this time?
1: Well, oh, at the plaza. Mm-hmm. And the pictures of Pip, too. I bet. I read
5: all about it. Yeah.
1: Hot lead over Laredo. Uh, look, here's the ad in the paper. Oh, I can't wait to see uh, it. Uh, Show me. Uh, yeah. yeah. A searing epic of the West's wild grandeur. Men as rugged as the mountains. Whee. A singing saga of scorching bullets, strumming guitars, and supple senoritas. Uh-uh. And starring the champ of the cowboys, Tex Acoff. Now, what more can one ask in a motion picture? Popcorn. Oh, we'll have that, too.
0: I
2: went home, did some packing for the trip the next day, picked something to eat, and then changed into my spurs that Jingle Jangle for Tex A. Mallard arrived. We took off. We got to the early show, so we managed to get some good seats. Of course, he wasn't kidding about the popcorn. He got a great big bag of that. We fumbled our way down the darkened aisle and found a place to sit. The movie was almost over. Know,
4: Tex, the whole thing looks like a gosh-dang frame up to me. They must have snuck off with them head of cattle and old reindeer. You end. Here,
1: these seats are okay. Oh. They must have gone
4: oh. that way all right. Sure. Only one thing oh. Oh. Oh.
1: oh, sorry, lady. Who am I, Steve. What happened to Ted?
4: Last time i seen her, she was leaving... Okay. are oh, uh, have, have some popcorn.
0: you A- from her
2: test? No?
4: No, 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 oh, no. I wonder where the sheriff is. He said he was
0: going to be riding by directly. Oh, probably. Oh,
1: I said sure is good popcorn. Oh, sure you don't want some? What? I said, are you sure you don't want some popcorn?
4: Well, wait...
1: I keep well, saying no. Your no, cigar. thank
5: you. There's I don't want any no Of course, my dear. If you'll pardon me, I'm going home and catch this on television. like seeing not with Tess
4: missing this way. I understand your feeling on the
0: matter. <laughs>
2: After hot lead over Laredo, I suffered through six reels of a bouncy college picture. Freshmen looked like holdovers from the early days of the war. Then a news reel. Then a cartoon. Then the trailers. Then again Texaca. So we got out about midnight and I drove Mallard back to the Hall of Justice. As he got out of the car.
0: Oh well. Oh,
2: now that's what I call sharp dialogue. On leaving the lady, all he can say is, oh, well.
1: Oh, nothing personal, Candy. <laughs>
2: now he laughed at
1: me. Well, I was just thinking. Uh, you're going up to the Valley of the Moon for a rest. Is that the idea?
2: Well, yes. That and trying to get away from Tex Acuff. Uh,
1: I know you too well, Candy. You're not going to have any rest. Uh, look at the headline on that paper in the newsstand there. Man missing in Sonoma mystery.
2: And Sonoma can have it. Mallard, dear, if I so much as step inside the Sonoma city limits, you can come and lead me away quietly.
1: You know something? I'm going to remember that.
2: (laughs) Mallard waved goodbye and went inside. I didn't like the way he said that. But I had other things to think about, such as getting home and getting some sleep. So I did in the morning, I drove over to California Street, picked up Rembrandt, and we headed out across the Golden Gate Bridge up towards Sonoma. The Valley of the Moon wasn't too far. A couple of hours of leisurely driving with time out for readjustment, and you're there. Then another eight miles north and east, and there was the dude ranch.
1: This is it, dear. What do you think of it? Perfect,
2: just perfect. Wait, Rembrandt, dear, it's a real
1: rent. Of course, Darv, a going concern. They only take in guests as a sideline. Oh, here comes a man. I imagine that's Mr. Lawrence, the owner. Oh, I'll shut off the motor. Good morning. How do you do, sir? Would you be Mr. Lawrence, perchance? Yes, and you? Watson, Rembrandt Watson, I'm here to take some pictures for you as we discussed via the Dell system. Oh, yes, Watson. Right on time. That's good. Oh, Candy, may I present Mr. Lawrence, owner of the double L of uh, Miss Matson? How do you do? do? Miss yeah. Matson was wondering if she could get accommodations for about a week, Mr. Lawrence. What? Now wait a minute, Watson. I'm paying you a substantial fee for this job, and I won't get stuck with non paying guests. Oh, I think you're laboring under a misapprehension. Hold
2: it, Rembrandt. Look, Mr. Lawrence, I'm here as a commercial guest. I'm not asking for any favors. And I doubt if I'd stay here now if you got down on your bended knuckles.
1: Oh, now, wait a second. I didn't mean it just that way. I I apologize. It's only that, uh, well, I've had some tough luck with people lately who seem to be only too intent on beating me out of their bills. Uh, Please, Miss Matson, excuse me. I I just jumped to conclusions, that's all.
2: I think you set a new record for the jump.
1: Forget it, Dove. Do.
2: Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Do you have room for me, Mr. Lawrence?
1: Why, yes, yes, of course. A delightful cabin just in back of the ranch house. Not being prepared, it'll take about an hour to get it in shape. Will that be all right? Yes,
2: yeah, sure. We can eat in the meantime.
1: Fine. I'll get one of the boys to fetch your luggage. Oh, you can park over there under the old stables.
5: Oh, no garage?
1: Well again, I have to apologize, Miss Matson. The garage is overloaded now. We have a sheriff's posse up here. The owner of the ranch next to mine disappeared yesterday afternoon. The sheriff is searching the entire vicinity around here. Sheriff, <laughs> are you all right? <laughs> well, speak to me, girl. What is it?
2: I'm all right. I just happened to think of something Mallard once said last night. I pushed my assembled horsepower into the stables where they belonged, and Rembrandt took me by the arm and steered me into the ranch house. It was a beautiful place, a tall cathedral-like living room with a crackling fireplace about the size of Dante's Inferno at one end. Off to this one side of the fireplace was a cozy little bar. The sun was just going over the yard arm, so I figured an old-fashioned would be quite in order. Old fashioned was right. Behind the bar was a personification of an old fashioned cowboy. Real shafts, a leathery face, and little squint wrinkles around his eyes. Well, howdy, Tex. It seems like as if I done saw you in a movie last night. Uh,
4: howdy yourself, ma'am. Nope. Must have been two other cowboys. I've been working here at the double L for almost five years.
2: My mistake, partner. Matson is the handle. What's yourn?
4: <laughs> is that the way cowboys talk, ma'am?
2: <laughs> yeah, Hollywood and Vine variety. <laughs> I'm glad to know you.
1: Call me Jeff, Miss Matson.
2: Check. This is Rembrandt Watson.
4: Rembrandt? Jeff.
1: Are those shoulders sewn in, or are they real? <laughs> I'm
4: afraid they're real.
1: Hiya, Mr. Watson.
2: You riding herd on all those bottles back there, Jeff?
4: Yep, for better or worse. Chang, our regular bartender, took powder on us day before yesterday.
2: Uh oh. Seems like he picked a bad time to do
4: a out. Oh, you mean the missing jet from Glen Valley? Glen Valley? Yeah, that's the ranch next to ours. Yeah, I understand the police are on the lookout for Chang, but he didn't do it. He's a good, honest Chinese boy.
2: Even so, it's a bad time to disappear.
4: Oh, I admit it doesn't sound good. Well... You folks won't mind the efforts of an amateur dispenser. What can I do for you?
2: An old-fashioned for me, Jeff.
4: Well, that I can try.
2: (laughs) From now on, it gets easier. Rembrandt only
4: wants to Coke. Well, I can sure fix that all right. Uh Uh-oh. What's wrong? Here comes the Duchess.
5: The Duchess?
4: Yeah, one of our guests. She's been out here about two weeks. And she can go through distilled spirits faster than a buzzsaw through mushy pine. And I hope you're prepared to talk.
5: Always, Jeff. Always. Hello, my dear. You just arrived, haven't you? Uh, Mentally
2: or physically?
5: Oh, oh my! A sense of humor, too. I I shall enjoy your company. Are you staying long? Well, I'm not sure now. My
2: plans are rather indefinite.
5: Oh, you'll love it here, Miss... uh... And may I present Mr. Rembrandt Watson? Charmed, I'm sure.
1: As of now, me life has commenced.
5: Oh, you delightful lad, Jeff dear boy, make me just a little nip of the old favorite, will you?
4: Sure, one painkiller coming up. Ah, oh, here's your old fashioned, Miss Matson.
5: Thanks, Mister
4: Watson. Your coat. Thanks,
1: sir.
5: Young lady, you must be an actress. You look like one. Well, no, I'm not. I me. used to be an actress, a yes. famous one. Mm-hmm. I toured all over the continent with the greatest of stars, the finest of plays. Mm. I was the toast of London, Berlin, Vienna. Yes, but I... I, I never... had kings and princesses uh. worshipping at my feet. Oh. I was once the vortex of an international incident. But no matter, those days are gone forever now,? I...
4: And here's your tonic, Dutch.
5: You what? Oh, thank you, Jeff. Well, as we used to say, here's to crime. What was that? It's a perfect toast. We have quite a mystery in this part of the country, young lady.
2: And so I keep hearing.
5: I can't understand. Mr. Ferguson had everything to live for. Mr. Ferguson? The man who owned Glen Valley. Wealthy, good looking, in the best of health. You seem to know
2: quite a bit about the gentleman, Duchess.
5: Only what I read in the newspaper, and I can't understand it. Well, as I said, here's to crime.
2: We dallied at the bar for a few more moments. Then Jeff informed me that lunch was ready and Rembrandt and I ate. We managed to duck the Duchess. I don't think I could have taken her with food. After lunch, Lawrence showed me to my cabin. It was, as he said, delightful with a warming flame in the fireplace. It was cheery and comfy, and I felt completely at home. Lawrence left to talk to Rembrandt. They were going to discuss the pictures he wanted taken. I felt like going riding, so I changed into my jeans and started to leave. But as I did...
4: <gasps> oh, sorry, Miss Matson, I didn't mean to frighten you. Oh, well...
2: You did, Joe.
4: No, I was just about to knock when you opened the door.
2: Oh, that's okay. Was there something you wanted?
4: Well, you're in riding clothes, and that answers my question.
2: The question being?
4: Well, were you going riding? <laughs> you see, the boss wanted to know if you were going riding, and if so, did you want some company? I usually show the guests around the acres.
5: Well, yes, that'd be wonderful.
4: And uh, how long do you want to be out, Miss Matson?
5: About three hours or so.
4: Sure. In that case, we'll take the deluxe tour. Over across the back 60 and up through Manzanita Canyon. You know, when we get up to the top of Iron Mountain, you can see the whole valley of the moon.
2: That's for me, Jeff. Let's hit the leather. <laughs> Jeff was obviously born to the saddle and came into this world teething on a tether rein. You couldn't tell where the horse left off, and Jeff began, a real rider. We nosed out through the clump of ranch buildings and on into open space. I had a fine horse under me, and I really felt like I was living. We'd been riding about an hour when we came across a little stream. Jeff indicated we should stop and water the horses. How long have you been a cowboy, Jeff?
4: Oh, about as long as I can remember.
2: Round here?
4: No, up around Montana. Then little by little, I gradually drifted further west. Get up the Valley of the Moon about five years ago. Fell in love with it. I've been here ever since. Reckon I'll stay here, too.
2: No, I don't blame you. Excuse me if I seem to be full of questions, Jeff. Well,
4: that's what I'm here for, ma'am.
2: Good. Because I've got a couple more. What's up that little draw there on the other side of the creek?
4: Hmm, nothing but a tangle of manzanita. Scrub oak and brush.
2: Pretty hard to get through there, hmm?
4: Hard. It's impossible. Well, I've seen chipmunks get fouled up in that draw. Uh-huh.
2: Then how come those boot prints are going right up there?
4: Boot prints? I don't see any. Well, hey, you're right.
2: Either boot prints are the result of shoes with Cuban heels.
4: Well, now, there's a strange one.
2: Exactly what I thought, too.
4: Say, you know, something just dawned on me. Mattson, didn't I see your pictures in the fiscal papers a couple of weeks back? San Francisco. Beg pardon?
2: San Francisco.
4: Oh, yeah, San Francisco. Excuse me. Oh, sure. You know, the way you was asking those questions just now, huh? it hit me. You're a detective.
2: I'm afraid you got me, partner.
4: oh, wait a minute, Miss oh. Matson. Listen. That's up, Jeff. Too late now. What's that? Well, whoa there. What are you doing over this way, Jeff? Hi, boss. Well, sir, you give us quite a little start.
1: You haven't answered my question.
4: Oh, we just stopped to wallow the horses, Mr. Lawrence. Miss Matson here is a mighty fine rider. She wanted to make the big
1: circle of the red. Well, you certainly picked a fine time to do it. Sheriff, Posse is out around this way. You're liable to get shot. Now get back to the ranch, Pronto.
2: Just a moment, Mr. Lawrence. You've been uncivil ever since I got here, and I don't like to be dictated to.
1: It's like being on board ship, Miss Matson. The captain is the law. I'm the owner of this property, and you'll do as I say. Now get moving, both of you. And if you don't like my attitude, you can leave any time you want. Leave? Now? Yes.
2: Oh, no, Mr. Lawrence. I'm beginning to find your ranch extremely interesting. Jeff and I wheeled our horses about and sifted back to the ranch house. I looked back a couple of times, but there was no sign of Lawrence. I was mad, and Jeff must have sensed it because he was smart enough to keep his mouth closed. As I dismounted at the stables and headed for the house, he waved me a forlorn adios and disappeared. Just as I went through the door, I was greeted by Rembrandt.
1: There you are, Dove. I was about to institute a searching party for you.
2: Oh, I was safe enough until I gained the grips with a thing called my own temper. What have you been doing, Ducky?
1: I've had a most delightful afternoon, Candy, dear. I've been playing Canasta with the Duchess. Canasta? Oh, you don't know how to play Canasta. Well, I know that, and you know it, but I don't think the Duchess does. <laughs> she celebrates each hand with a hefty pull on her bitters.
2: How would you manage to make any sense out of the game?
1: That has me puzzled, too. All I do is... Put down some cards, any cards, and she'd congratulate me.
2: Maybe you've got a green thumb for the game. Incidentally, I thought you were going to be taking pictures this afternoon.
1: Call off on account of the law.
0: Hmm?
1: Mr. Lawrence had to ride out into the Lone Prairie and deliver a phone message to the sheriff. He's making like ghost riders in the sky out there. Do go and change, dear. You smell of horses.
2: Yes, I know.
1: Oh, and incidentally, we're to have a soiree this evening... Two more guests arrived. The cook tells me there's to be a little entertainment after dinner.
2: Good. Around here, anything will be an improvement. I didn't tell Rembrandt I was going to change, so it wasn't a fib when I stayed in my jeans. I went back to the stables, got the boy to rig me another horse, and headed out toward that creek again. I rode faster this time, because I'd noticed something else there besides the boot print. It was a battered ten-gallon hat on the far side of the creek with studded initials JF on the crown. But when I got there, the cupboard was bare, but good. Not only was the ten-gallon hat gone, but the boot prints had been completely obliterated. I stayed for another few minutes, to study in frustration, and then went back to the ranch. I changed, met Rembrandt, had dinner, and then we relaxed in the living room.
1: Oh, Dove, I'm so full. This outdoor living makes me ravenous.
2: Outdoors? But... I don't think you've stepped out of this building
1: since we got here. Well, then it's the thought of outdoor living that does it. <laughs> oh, they're the new arrivals over on the fire.
9: Uh, did you meet them?
1: No, they looked at me as though I might soil their escutcheon, whatever that is.
9: Mm, I can see what you mean.
1: Hi,
4: folks. You enjoy enjoy your dinner. Oh, hello, Jeff. Yes, it was wonderful. Uh, has anybody seen Mister Lawrence or the Duchess?
2: Mm, we haven't seen Lawrence. No, uh, the Duchess is over there writing a letter.
4: Oh, well. I hope you'll all drop around in about an hour. I'm going to do some singing and a little guitar plucking.
2: Is there anything you don't do, Jeff?
4: No, very little. But none of them too darn good either.
1: Sure, we'll be here. Won't we, Rembrandt? <coughs> what? Oh, yes, I go with three diamonds and a joke card.
2: Jeff left. Rembrandt snoozed, and I threw a wrap around my shoulders and took a stroll around the patio. The air felt Good. I went over to my cabin, picked up some cigarettes, and started back. But as I came close to the cabin opposite mine...
0: Oh.
2: Oh. It was the Duchess. I'd recognize those tones and groans anywhere. Oh.
5: Duchess? Oh, yes?
2: This is Candy Mattson. Are, are you all right?
5: Oh, yes, I'm all right. Touch of indigestion, I should imagine. Oh, is there anything I can do it? Can I get you something? Oh, what a dear thing you are. No, I'll be all right. I have these attacks all the time. You run along and enjoy yourself. Jeff is going to sing such a dear boy. But you're sure you'll be okay. Yes, yes, dear. You we'll go along. Oh,
2: here. Now let me put a blanket over you. Oh. Here and take off
5: your shoes. You'll be ever so much more comfortable. You're so sweet. So pretty. You remind me of myself when I was young. Thank you. Thank you so much.
2: I tucked the old girl in and left her to dream of the past and went back to the ranch house. Jeff was just pulling up a chair in front of the fireplace.
4: Well, you'll have to understand, folks. I'm not a singer. I don't pretend to be. I just warble along the way I feel. Now, is there any particular kind of cowboy tune you'd like to hear?
1: No, Jeff. Why don't you just sing a favorite
4: of yours?
2: Good idea. Just do what comes naturally.
4: Okay, you ask for it. Let's see. Here's one I think you might like. And the wind blows free in a narrow grave, just six by three. But very. Oh, hi, you, Bob. Oh,
1: I'm sorry, Jeff. Go right on with what you were doing.
2: No, Mr. Lawrence. You arrived just in time. The entertainment's over.
1: What? What are you talking about, Miss Matson?
2: I said the show's over. Is the sheriff around?
1: Yes. He and his men are outside. They're just leaving for the night.
2: You better call him back. Right now. The duchess is dead in her cabin. What? Poisoned.
1: Wait a minute. Sheriff! Sheriff Hobbs! Is yes, that you, Lord? That's right. Can you and your men come back for a spell? Seems we have more trouble. Okay. It'll be over as soon as we tie up the horse. Now then, what's this all about?
2: Well, I could tell you, Lawrence, but I think it'd be more proper coming from the star himself. Don't you think so, Jeff?
1: <laughs>
4: Looks like this is it, doesn't it? You know, you're smart, Miss Matson. Like they say in that ad, never underestimate the power of a woman.
2: That's right. That letter the Duchess wrote proves your point.
4: What? How'd you get hold of that letter? I thought I... Oh, she wrote a duplicate, is that it?
2: Like you say, never underestimate the power of a woman.
4: Wait a moment. I don't understand what's going on here. Go ahead, Miss and you tell her. Looks like I'm not the star any longer.
2: Well, Lawrence, up to about two weeks ago, you had as nice and gentle a cowpoke working for you as there ever was. Then the Duchess arrived. She wasn't kidding when she claimed to have mingled with nobility, important people. As a matter of fact, she had an inside tip about your ranch and the one next door, Ferguson's place, Glen Valley. Didn't you receive a fantastic offer for your property from a big wine company just recently, Lawrence?
1: Why, yes, I did.
2: So did Ferguson. They were going to merge the two places and make it one of the world's largest vineyards.
1: I didn't know about that part of it. But the Duchess did.
2: She wanted in on the ground floor. That's why she came out here. She tried, tried to talk business with Ferguson, but he'd have none of it. So, in one of her boozy moments, she hit upon the idea of doing away with Ferguson. But she didn't have the nerve to go through with it. That's when she approached Jeff here and cut him in on the deal. Jeff was tired of the poor but honest cowboy routine, saw a chance to make some heavy sugar, and went along with the gag. Right, Jeff?
4: She's got it straight so far, Bob. Jeff, I, I can't believe my ears.
2: Oh, that's nothing. Just wait a while. Jeff and the Duchess were out riding one afternoon when, by chance, Ferguson rode up, too, just where the boundaries of the two ranches meet. While the Duchess talked to Ferguson, Jeff sneaked around and back and bashed in his head. They hold him up to that draw where you bumped into us this afternoon. I know now why you ordered us out of there. On the other side of that snarl of brush and manzanita, there's a quicksand pit. That is now Ferguson's permanent
4: residence. This is terrible. Terrible.
2: In a hurry to dispose of your late neighbor, they left shoe prints along the bank of the creek. And they also overlooked Ferguson's hat with his initials on it. I'm mighty glad you came by when you did, Lawrence. After I had noticed the boot prints, I, I think Jeff was going to dump me into the quicksand, too.
4: <laughs> You're right again. After the boss sent us back in, I sort of figured to would get you tonight instead.
2: And then, Lawrence, you were going to be next. Because in your will... You would name Jeff as your sole heir, is that right?
1: That, that's right. I, I love him like a son.
2: Then the Duchess and Jeff could have swung a hard bargain with that wine outfit. All very smooth except for one thing.
4: One thing? I'm kind of curious about that one thing, Miss Matson.
2: Alcohol, Jeff. It's not only lifting to begin with, but also acts as a depressing agent. The Duchess had been imbibing all day, and after dinner she arrived at that point of depression, realized what a horrible thing she had done, and she wrote the full story about the wine company and Jeff duplicity and made a copy. You were afraid of that yourself, Jeff. That's when you went out and slipped the old girl a lethal Mickey I heard her groaning and went in to investigate. She said it was indigestion, but I knew differently. Her breath. And I knew, too, that she'd be dead within five minutes. Then I saw her shoes. Cuban heels with mud caked on the inner side of the arch. That's when I had a hunch the letter she was writing had a definite meaning. You overlooked it, Jeff. I found it. Where only a woman would think of looking. Tucked inside her bosom. I'm sorry, Lauren. I had you figured wrong from the start. I was the one who was wrong. You aren't hard at all. You're as soft as putty.
4: Well, Jeff, here comes the sheriff. Yeah, so I see. Well, I'm ready for them. You can't beat a royal flush with a pair of deuces. Or should I say dunces. Ah, I'll go. There won't be any fuss. And all of a sudden, it dawns on me. People should accept that they're lost. If you're born to be a cowboy, just stay a cowboy. And if you're born a millionaire, don't fight that either. Well, goodbye, Miss Matson. And I'm glad the boss happened along when he did, but I I don't think quicksand would look good on you.
2: Like Jeff said, he went quietly, no trouble. Too bad he wasn't content to be just a ranch hand, simple and unspoiled, because as Rembrandt had noticed, he did have wonderful shoulders, he played the guitar, he sang, and he made fine old-fashioned... All in all, a very nice guy, except for two vices, hitting from the behind and poisoning. The Valley of Moon? Oh, I'll go back. It's lovely. After all, one man with a snarled brain can't undo the work of the original master painter.
3: Listen again next week at this same time for excitement and adventure
1: just dial...
2: Candy Matson, Yukon 28209. (laughs)
3: Heard tonight were Helen Cleave as the Duchess, Lou Tobin as Lawrence, and Clancy Hayes as Jeff. Henry Leth is Inspector Mallard and Jack Thomas as Rembrandt. The program stars Natalie Masters as Candy and is written and produced by Monty Masters. Sound effects were created by Bill Brownell and Jay Rendon. Eloise Rowan is heard at the organ. The characters in tonight's story are entirely fictitious and any resemblance to actual people... Is purely coincidental. The program came to you from San Francisco. Dudley Manlove speaking. You are tuned for the stars on NBC.